The following is a Thunderbolt West Media production. World events and getting power in a crisis. You are listening to the Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show with Jim Calhoun. The storm was coming, the sky was on fire, fear was in their eyes. It's my opinion that we should be prepared to lean on our faith and be able to step out on the sea. Thanks for tuning in to the Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show. I'm your host, Jim Calhoun. This show features off-grid topics such as creating your own power, gardening, homesteading, and other issues related to off-grid living. I also seek to educate my listeners about survival and prepping, and I'll talk about anything from government corruption to chemtrails. Also, I feel that our constitutional republic is worth saving so I never miss an opportunity to do my part in helping to save our republic. I have two main goals for this show. Number one, to help you build your faith in God. And number two, to help each listener become as self-sufficient as possible. This show originates at the Harmony Barn Studios, located near Hershey, Nebraska, in the United States of America. The Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show airs on global shortwave stations WBCQ, Monticello, Maine, at frequency 7.490, and also on WRMI, Radio Miami International, on frequency 5850. And you can tune in to Key Radio, 89.3 FM, in Osage Beach, Missouri. And this show is also available on demand, on Spreaker, Anchor, Podpoint, Podpage, and Red Circle. My email address is jim at offgridliving.faith and be sure to visit my website, which is offgridliving.faith. I thank everyone for tuning in today. I really do appreciate it. And I have a show today that's going to be part information and part is going to be kind of a tutorial of some things that might help you down the road. I'm going to be talking about generating your own power in an emergency situation. In other words, if you get caught flat-footed, there are a couple of things that you can do to where you can at least keep you and your family a bit more safe. And there's many ways you can generate power because there's power everywhere. The whole world is electronically charged. Your body is electronically charged. The earth itself is a big battery. And so there is power out there. You just have to harness it. And I'm going to talk about several ways of harnessing that power. Some of it's going to be natural. Some of it's going to be power you're going to have to generate. But before I get into that, I want to touch briefly on an episode that I watched of the Canadian Prepper. And the more I watch the Canadian Prepper and several others that are basically the same type of a show, it seems like we're all in each other's heads. 
Because when one of us has a thought and we put a show out, the other one puts a show out either the same day or the day after and possibly maybe a day or so before, and I just didn't have a chance to see that episode until after I recorded mine. And it would be easy to say, oh, well, we're all listening to each other and copying each other. That would be so easy to say, but you would not be accurate. Because I don't try to copy anyone. Now, if there's some information that I hear from Hal Turner or from Bob Bierman or the Canadian Prepper or anyone else that has pertinent information that can help my listeners, I'm going to pass it on. And like I say, my sources out here are basically dogs and cows. And so I get my material for my shows just by observing the world. I don't necessarily agree with everything that's said, and I don't necessarily disagree with everything that's said. But I do believe that I'm the only one talking about several huge issues, and I'm going to talk about them a little bit today. But I'm going to start with world events. And I remember hearing that Alexander Graham Bell patented the telephone just a few hours before someone else claimed to invent the same thing in Italy. And so I do believe that God puts something in the ether, and it's either a thought or a feeling or something. And some people can tune into that, and others just can't. And also, Beth Ann from CSC Talk Radio puts out a little email newsletter. And about half of them she puts out, I swear I could have written it. And it's not because we're listening to each other and copying each other. I do think that God is putting something in the ether, and some of us are picking up on what it is, and we're obedient, and we're talking about it. And so if you hear similar shows, Just know that I think that's confirmation. It's not anyone listening to someone else's show. Because the more I broadcast, the more I have less time to listen to anyone else. And there are times that I think I'm the only person talking about a subject, and then I'll go catch up on my research and find out that I'm a week late or maybe only one day ahead or something. But the fact that that thought has crossed more people's minds than just one or two at the same time. Now, I'm not talking about walking in lockstep, but I am talking about being a Paul Revere and shouting out the warning. In one of the recent episodes of Canadian Prepper, he said it was the most important show he's ever done, and he talked about artificial intelligence. And I had just finished recording an episode of Truth to Ponder, and I talked about artificial intelligence and the pitfalls and the dangers that I see And the Canadian prepper had a different slant on it, but we were both shouting out a warning. And the reason I'm broadcasting is I want to help. I really don't care who knows my name. I don't care for fame or fortune. I'm not after that. That's not why I'm doing this show. And so I urge my listeners to listen to everybody that you can. There are some that God will put it on your heart not to listen to them. You'll hear them once or twice and and you just won't want to go back and listen again. And on the other side of that, there's others you'll feel drawn to. But I think in the long run, listening to only one or two people is going to harm you. And I'm not saying just jump in and listen to everybody. I'm not saying that at all. But I do think that when you have a chance, try to listen to several people out there that maybe can give you some positive advice and some good ideas of how to handle what's to come. Now, this is a thought that was put on my heart 
And as far as I know, I'm the only one talking about this, but I imagine that within a day or two, other people are going to catch that in the ether. And like I say, I don't think anyone's copying anyone's shows. I don't think that at all. Through the ages, wars have brought in different innovations. And whichever army had the most up-to-date modern innovation would generally do well, if not win, the entire war because the other side had no answer for it. And you can go back to the bow and arrow and the sling and the crossbow and gunpowder and cannons and, and you can just go up through the centuries of different ways that man has dreamed up to kill other men. But the common man never dreamed he'd have to face a machine on the battlefield that was like a hawk or an eagle that swooped down from above. Never once did mankind consider that. But the military did, and the governments did. When the governments and their militaries saw their first airplane, their first thought was, how can we get this to be an advantage over an enemy? Most people just aren't wired to think that way. And in World War II, the use of atomic weapons, while some people that were on the inside knew it was coming, the vast majority of the world, I'd say 99.999% of the world, didn't know anything about nuclear bombs. And the firebombing we did of Germany and Japan was horribly destructive. Millions of people died in horrible firestorms. And people were horrified by that. But this new weapon caught everybody off guard. And we went through several decades of a Cold War of facing off because both sides had nuclear weapons. And that really traumatized the world. Well, what I want to say is we're going to have more surprises than just one new weapon. I think that we are going to see things that right now we would say are impossible. And I do believe that all the robotics that they've been working on, they've been showing those police dogs that are robots, and also walking robots and robots that they say are going to help with law enforcement and the security robots and the robots that spy on you in airports. I truly feel that the United States has invested a lot of time and money into robotics. And I think this next war, we're going to see drones in the air. And basically, these dog things that they have been developing are basically drones that walk. And I think that's terrifying to think that there are going to be machines controlled by someone in a bunker somewhere that are going to actually go out and murder people. I think that is going to be heinous. But I think that the United States is counting on that and laser weapons and other smart weapons that they've been developing. And I just have a feeling. I don't have any information on this. And you might say I'm going out on a limb. But I don't think I'm going out too far on a limb. I think that Russia has went the opposite direction. I think while we've been building all sorts of things that they're going to unleash on the world, I think that Russia has been working on a conventional army. What good is that going to be against a robotic, unstoppable army with lasers and everything else? What good is a conventional army? Here's my opinion. I do believe that Russia has been working on building the best conventional army that they possibly can. But the trick that they have up their sleeve, I do believe that instead of developing all these robots and all these things to counter what the West has built, 
I think that Russia has been working on ways to simply shut off what we built through electronic jamming or some sort of EMP and do a pulse and just fry the electronics. I know that Russia has been making our smart bombs not smart at all. The smart bombs that have been used in Ukraine have been absolutely worthless. And just the other day, a NASA satellite came down over Kiev, and NASA said, we brought that down in a controlled burn. Well, I believe it was a spy satellite. And I do believe that Russia used one of their new weapons to take out one of our new weapons. And if the Western world wants to put out this robotic army, now think about it. The armed forces in the United States are not meeting their quotas. Not even close. And I've heard that 77% of our young people that are military age are unfit for duty. They're obese or they're drug addicted or there's something wrong with them that under normal circumstances, there's no way that they would be accepted into one of the armed forces. So that doesn't leave a lot of choice but to do something else. And that might explain some of the illegals because I'm sure they're going to offer some of the illegals across the border citizenship if they join the Army or Marines or Air Force or Navy. So I think that the Pentagon has been working as hard as they can to automate an army, an army of drones, an army that doesn't have to sleep, doesn't have to eat, an army that could be ruthless and relentless and kill with no emotion, an army that's faster and stronger, and artificial intelligence can guide the battles. I think that's what the United States has been working on. And I think we're going to see some horrific, horrible weaponry come out of this. And after the war is over, this technology will be used in police forces all over the world. And if you think it's bad now with censorship and lockdowns and curfews and martial law, and wait till they get this technology unleashed on we the people. But I have to say that I hope and pray that Russia has developed a system to render all of it useless, to where it won't work. That would mean that Russia's conventional army would likely be able to fare much better against the conventional army that the West would put up that they haven't really been concentrating on. They've been concentrating on gadgets and technology. And Russia's been concentrating on shutting that technology off. I really do hope that that's the case. Because we're on a slippery slope anyway. Because whoever controls the robots to do their evil deeds can control the world. And so the prospect of that is absolutely terrifying. And also the artificial intelligence of how evil that that is going to be. Because you know that it's going to fall into the wrong hands. Some megalomaniac is going to get a hold of that technology and use it against the world. It's inevitable. And so we have lots of things that I think we need to worry about. Broadcasting from the United States of America, you are listening to the Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show. I invite all of my listeners to go to my social media site, 
which is on veteranbrigades.com. It's the only social media site that I trust, and you do not have to be a veteran to join. So go to veteranbrigades.com, sign up, and look me up over there, and on that platform, I'm the Living Off-Grid Show, and I plan on doing lots of interactive things over there with you, my audience. So please go visit me at veteranbrigades.com. And I don't know if any of you have ever seen a bullfight, and I'm talking about two bulls, not a Mexican-style matador versus bull. I'm talking bull against bull. When you have two big bulls that meet each other for the first time, especially in breeding season, first of all, they get scent of each other, and they start with a low guttural kind of a growl. It's kind of a beller under their breath. And what they're saying is, I smell you, I know you're here. And then the other one will pick up the scent, and he'll start doing the same thing. Then they hear each other. And then they start talking. And I'm sure in bull language, they're telling each other what they're going to do to each other if they tangle. And then the bulls will come together. And sometimes they circle, but most of the time they paw the dirt, and they bow their neck, and huff and puff, and beller and threaten. But they have a look in their eye that's murderous, kind of an insane look. And when two bulls get to that point, it doesn't matter if there's a thousand predators that are going to come kill those bulls and eat them. They wouldn't see a crocodile or a lion or a pack of wolves. They wouldn't care. All they see is each other. All their focus is taking the other one out. And that's where we're at with this World War III. It's kind of a feeling out process, and they're doing a tit-for-tat escalation. But the bottom line is, is there is an escalation, and every week it gets just a little bit closer to midnight as far as the doomsday clock. It gets just a little closer every week. Then you have surrogate countries, mostly from the United States' side, that will do something to try to poke the bear. Then you have Belarus and sometimes China poking the West as much as they can. But when those two bulls come together and they decide to get it on, all the grass gets trampled. Everything gets broken. If the bulls would fight in a parking lot, they would destroy every vehicle in the parking lot as they would be smashing each other into cars. And each bull will fight for advantage and they try to get their head underneath the other one's flank and so they can lift them up and flip them. And if the bulls have horns, they get extremely nasty. They try to gut each other. When you have two bulls that are really meaning to do harm to each other, there's nothing you can do to break them up. If you have a good cow dog, you could send them in, and if the dog will bite them on the nose, the dog might be able to back them off for a second, but then the bulls will be right back hammering each other until they settle whatever they're trying to settle. And when the bulls fight, the grass gets trampled. And guess who the grass is? You and me. All the people of the earth are going to suffer because we have two belligerent bulls with the Western nations and the non-Western nations are going to be hammering each other relentlessly without any care or regard of what happens to you or your family. And I read that Janet Yellen said that 
illegitimate Joe would not have any trouble harming the United States economy if that meant stemming the tide of China getting any advantage in any situation. But now we have boots on the ground in Ukraine, boots on the ground in Taiwan. We're establishing military bases all through Asia. We're bringing all sorts of gear into Poland and neighboring countries. And the stage is being set for those two bulls to come together and lock horns. And the Canadian prepper said absolutely 100%, we are going to have World War III. And he also stated 100%, we are going to lose. And when he said that, I thought, wow, that's exactly how I feel. I feel there's no way that we're not going to have a war, and I see no way that the Western nations are going to win this, simply because we don't manufacture anything. I had to go in and buy some tools today, and I tried to find American-made tools. Couldn't find them. Couldn't find them anywhere. Everything that I bought was made in China. Even though I tried my best not to buy anything from China, everything I bought was from China. In the mere fact that we're trying to pick a fight with who supplies us with everything, as far as medicine and a lot of food, a lot of clothing and shoes and gadgets, household goods, consumer goods, auto parts, just go right down the line, musical instruments. China supplies the world with almost everything. And if China would shut off the tap and not sell to us anymore, our stores will go empty. And when that happens, we will have a revolt here at home. I've seen mass lootings of big stores in Chicago and around where flash mobs just go in and destroy the whole store. Well, if stores start emptying out and people think that all the goods are going to go away, I think there's a good chance that we're going to see thousands of flash mobs all over the United States ransacking stores left and right. And of course, if the store is totally ruined and can't get any more merchandise because they've been shut off, that's just a death knell for that business. They simply will cease to exist. But our schools have been dumbing down our citizens. I hate to say this, but I think that the average person in the United States is probably only half as smart as the average person in the United States was just 50 years ago. I know when I was a young man and a young boy, I hung around with lots of World War I vets, and of course the World War II vets were still in their prime, and they were still ruling the world. They were really kicking butt and taking names. But the old men, the ones that were retired, were all World War I vets. And the wisdom I got from these old men was incredible. All of them were grandfatherly to me. All of them wanted to help me. All of them were very kind and polite. Their manners were impeccable. There was no thought of them not liking talking to a young man or a young boy. They seemed to enjoy telling me the wisdom that they had acquired. And then I see men that are the same age as these men were back then. But I see men today who are 70, 75, 80 years old. And yes, there's some good men out there. I'm not saying there's not any. But the percentage of good men is nowhere near percentage-wise of how many good men there used to be in this country. And then if you want to go to the middle-aged people, there's a lot of middle-aged people who are totally screwed up right now. 
They're on drugs. They're brainwashed. They're, they believe in the climate change hoax. They believe in wearing masks and social distancing, and they believe in woke, and they believe in so many things that are destructive. So we really can't say that a war with China and Russia is going to be anything we can win. And just today, I watched a man-on-the-street interview that was done in Moscow. And they were asking average citizens as they went about their shopping and just walking through the streets, and they were asking just common Russian people two or three simple questions. They would stop them on the street, and they would say, do you think that the United States and Russia should be friends? And the vast majority said yes, definitely. And most of them said, well, why not? Why should we be enemies? But the ones that said no, they did not want to be our friend, were asked why. And everybody that said no, they didn't want to be a friend of the United States, did so because they do not like the direction the United States is going with transgender and all of this mutilating kids and the abortion and all the social decay that's happening here, the gay pride marches and the government corruption. They see that. And these people were trying to be polite. But they were pushed. Well, why? You know, really, why don't you want to be friends with the United States? And it all boiled down to those issues. Social rot social decay in this country. And we have an illegitimate government that all they're doing is pushing all this rot and this decay. And so I don't think Russia would mind at all of just disintegrating the American government. I'm talking about the presidency on down to all of the staffers and everybody that works at the White House or at the Senate, Supreme Court, the whole works. I think Russians see that as broken and evil, and they want no part of it. But yet the vast majority said they did want to be friends. And so it's just the political class in this country that probably own stock in the military-industrial complex are going to get rich on wars. And that just leaves you and me just kind of out there, out of luck. Well, before I go on break, I want to start on my topic I want to do, and that's creating your own power in an emergency situation. And yes, I do believe, and yes, I do believe that World War III is imminent. I don't think there's any stopping it. I think it's just like these bulls circling. I think that the powers that be can't see anything but blood, and they want to shed as much blood as they can. And of course, that fits the globalist agenda of depopulating the world. So we have lots of little nuances going on, some subplots. But where that leaves you, is you're going to be very vulnerable because, like I say, you're grass and I'm grass, and they're going to fight, and the grass is going to get trampled. And you have to know that an EMP attack is going to be the first thing that Russia will do. Russia has already come out and talked about their new form of warfare, and it's all about jamming and shutting off what we have. And so you need to be prepared to lose your cell phone and your radio and your television and your computer. Everything that you have that requires technology, as far as mass communication, and I'm talking modern technology, there's a more than great chance that you are going to lose most of that, if not all of it. And I think the same way with being forced off grid. I've said it many times, I'm going to say it again. You're going to be living off grid whether you want to or not. 
So the second half of the show is going to be all about living off-grid when you don't want to. I've done several shows on this, but situations keep changing and I keep thinking of other things to inform you about. And so when I get back, I'm going to talk about ways you can make your automobile your main power source, ways you can tap into all sorts of things to gain enough power to charge some batteries if you have rechargeable batteries, possibly charge a cell phone, give you some light, things that can give you some power so you can operate a radio, and things like that. That's what I'm going to talk about when I come back from break. But I do want to express that I really do believe that the time is on us. The time is now. We're going to have to really get serious about being able to live off-grid. And I've got two guests that I have booked for the show. I don't have the time yet as far as what day they're going to be broadcast. But I have two friends. One of them has been on the show before, and that's Karen Bond. And she's highly trained in the medical field. And she also is very good with natural medicine and foraging and natural foods. And so I'm going to have her on. Then I have a dear friend, Catherine Beardsley, that lives about 100 miles from me. And she comes to my music events. And I overheard her talking to one of the other people in the audience while I was setting up my gear. She was talking all about canning and all the things she was doing to prep to get ready for this horrible mess that we're heading into. And I was just intrigued. And so I'm going to have her as a guest very soon. And she has many great ideas. If we lose power and your freezer goes out and your refrigerator goes out and you don't know what you're going to do, well, Catherine has a lot of really good ideas of what we need to do to preserve our food in crisis. And so I'm going to be upping my game with this show, going towards damage control in a crisis. And that's where I'm going to start when I come back from the break. I really need to know who's listening and where you're listening from, whether it's by shortwave or podcast or on AM or FM radio. Even if you just pop me an email and say hi, I would appreciate it. And as always, I invite listeners, give me some suggestions of topics that they'd like to hear me cover. I would really appreciate that. Once again, my email address is jim at offgridliving.faith. Please visit the website and the website is offgridliving.faith. And also, you can find links to even more information. Every one of my shows is uploaded on the website. If you enjoy the Living Off-Grid Powered Information Show, I would ask that you consider donating to the show to help cover expenses because we don't get paid here. This is all done by donations and we do not take anything online as far as PayPal or any of that because of all the censorship. Not that they have shut us off, it's just I'm not going to give them the opportunity. So we're going to do it the old-fashioned way by mail check, money order, or if you want to put cash in a secure envelope, we would appreciate any donation, any size. Just send all your correspondence to Thunderbolt West Media, P.O. Box 163, 
Hershey, Nebraska, 69143. That's Thunderbolt West Media, P.O. Box 163, Hershey, Nebraska, 69143. And your support is greatly appreciated. This next song was recorded in 1902 by the Edison Military Band. America, played by the Edison Military Band. Replace fear with faith. Replace pessimism with hope. Replace despair with determination. And don't be afraid to rely on God and step out on the sea. Broadcasting from the Harmony Barn Studio near Hershey, Nebraska, in the United States of America. You're listening to the Living Off-Grid Powered Information Show with Jim Calhoun. No! 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 That's right. There's no dinosaur media here. Welcome back to part two of the Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show. This is your host, Jim Calhoun, and I do appreciate you tuning in today. Well, the first half of the show, I was talking about different things that I think are inevitable, things that are going to happen fairly soon. In this part of the show, I want to talk about some things that we can do in case of an emergency as far as losing power. Let's start with 12 volt. Other than a few antique cars and tractors that are still 6 volt, and some of the larger machinery that's 24 volt, the vast majority of everything that you see going up and down the road or in the field is powered with 12 volt. And even the 24 volt systems are generally powered with two different 12 volts that are hooked together. And so you can't go wrong with anything 12 volt in an emergency because it'll be easy to find a battery that's charged, and also recharging a 12-volt battery is real easy. As long as you have an engine that has gasoline or diesel that'll run that engine, you're going to be able to charge that battery. And I think it would be a great idea for you to keep some spare wire as far as single-strand, 16-gauge and heavier. I would say no heavier than 12-gauge, 
but 12 to 16 gauge ought to catch most applications. If you can keep 25 feet or so, and also some connectors and electrical tape and a wire stripper, then you're good to go with wiring up an emergency lighting. And if you have to hook the wires directly onto the post, you could either get two alligator clamps and then attach one end of the wire to a clamp, and that way you can just clamp it onto your battery. But if you don't have any alligator clamps, get some gear clamps that are used on hoses. Heater hose clamps work really well, and then you simply just tighten the clamp onto the post. On the older cars, you could easily take a headlight out and use that for spare lighting. The newer cars are quite a bit more tricky. You'd have to have a pigtail and plug that light in for it to work real well. I'm sure you could come up with a way to attach wires on the modern light bulbs, but it would be much better to put them in their socket and wire to a pigtail. But any old-fashioned lighting would work great. And so if you have access to cars that are pre-1985, basically any car between 1955 and 1985 are going to have headlights that are very easy for you just to take the wires and use the screw terminal on the lights and simply just wire them up. And that headlight will really serve you well as an emergency light. If you don't need to have anything that bright, then simply an interior dome light, something that's a bayonet-style base that has a single connection on the bottom. And there again, you'd have to use a pigtail, use that socket that's correct for that bulb, and then twist it in, and then you can wire it up. But those two things will give you emergency light for a long time. Because, like I say, the likeliness of you finding a battery with a charge or being able to recharge your battery are pretty high. And also readily available are all sorts of solar panels and controllers and things that can put out 12 volts. And if you go the solar route and you have a small controller that can charge a 12-volt battery, then you're good to go. And if you have an existing system that's 24-volt as far as solar, well, all you have to do is take one of your batteries out of your battery bank because it'll be a 12-volt. It only becomes 24-volt when you hook two batteries together. And so you can charge two batteries at once with a 24-volt system and then simply unhook the batteries from each other. Then you can run your 12-volt components. Almost every car that's out there has a radio in it, so it would be very easy to be able to get a radio to work with a 12-volt battery because I imagine that everyone that's listening has at least one 12-volt radio available to them in their car or pickup. And so there's no need to have an extra radio laying around. Simply just put the battery in your vehicle. And so you have radio in an emergency. And that also goes for CB radios. All CB radios are 12-volt. And if you don't have a CB radio, I highly recommend you get one and get a good antenna, get an SWR meter, get it all set up just right. And it may be something that you don't use but once or twice, maybe never. But I think CB radios are a great way of having an insurance policy to where at least you'll have some ability to reach out to other people. It might be limited as far as how far you push your signal, but it's still a lot better than nothing. And through truck stops and other places that sell 12-volt accessories, you can get coolers and all sorts of other things that run on 12-volt. And another thing you can do with your 12-volt battery is go buy a very cheap inverter that will convert that into 110. 
but don't get a real cheap low wattage one because it won't last. It'll burn up really quick. And so at a minimum, I'd go for a 2000 watt as a minimum as far as your inverter. And with that, your 12 volt battery can run lights and drills and, and could charge your phone and can run a computer and can do all sorts of things. You can even use it on your refrigerator. Just make sure you get a pure sine wave unit. Costs a little more, but it won't hurt your electronics. But if you don't have the money and you have to get a square wave, just make sure that you don't use anything sensitive as far as don't plug a computer directly into a square wave. Any sensitive electronics are going to get knocked out really quick if you use square wave type power. But if you have a laptop, that has an adapter that the 12 volts only go into the adapter, not the computer, and that adapter makes the correct voltage for your computer, well, you'll get by that way. It's not premium, but your computer's not at risk. Your power supply eventually will fail because of square wave, but in an emergency, it will work. And so never underestimate the power of 12 volt. There's lots you can do with 12 volts. And I know people that are using 12-volt pumps to pump water from their shallow wells. I forgot to mention with the wire and the strippers and the connectors and the electrical tape, get some inline fuses. Always use fuses in between the battery and whatever you're using. And I would put the fuse right at the battery. Now, I'm not telling people to go out and get a bunch of things and spend a lot of money and a lot of time getting a 12-volt system going. I just want you to tuck this information in the back of your head because if the power goes out and everyone is freaking out, and if that's the case, you'll know what to do. And you won't be one of those people that are going to be freaking out. You'll simply be rolling up your sleeves and keeping your home fires burning. I've seen several videos where people are attempting to revive old 12-volt batteries. And I've tried a few of the methods that they said, and I've had mixed results. I've had batteries come back to life, but not enough to truly be useful. And lots of times, if you have a spare battery that just sits around, you'll have a hard time bringing it back to life. And so having a spare 12-volt battery sitting around, I don't believe is too much of an option. Other than this, illegitimate Joe Biden, in his infinite wisdom, has decided to close down the last remaining lead mine in the United States. And the insides of a battery are primarily made with lead. And so the prices of batteries are going to go astronomically high. You remember a few years ago, a battery that you could get for $60 is now about $150. Well, I think these batteries are going to jump to probably close to $300. They're probably going to double. And so if you have some older batteries that are on the weak side, I think you need to upgrade and go ahead and buy your batteries now before the prices increase. And you put that on top of the inflation, you know darn well that batteries are going to go higher. Now let's say you have no 12 volt, you have no battery, you have nothing. But you do have a cell phone. There are ways you can keep your cell phone charged. And the easiest and best way is to buy a solar-powered phone charger. You simply set that in the sun, it charges up, and then you hook that charger to your phone, and it'll charge the battery on your phone. Now, these little crank-up radios that they sell, I recommend you getting one that has the Bayless generator on it, 
and most of the new radios have a port on them that you can charge cell phones by cranking up the Bayless generator on the radio. And if you're in an emergency and you're using your phone as a light as well as a phone, well, that's going to eat your batteries up pretty quick. So having a crank that you can crank several hundred cranks and get 10 or 15 minutes of cell phone might be a game changer. And I do highly recommend everybody get shortwave radio because I think that that's going to be the only way we're going to be able to communicate by long distance if things really go south like I think they're going to. And I've talked to several more ham operators, and the ham operators I'm talking to really know that they're going to be needed very soon. And so the ham guys that I'm talking to are making sure their equipment is 100% up to snuff. But I've really never met a ham operator that his equipment wasn't up to snuff, but these guys are double-checking everything, making sure everything's just perfect, because they think that it's going to come down to them as far as the only way to communicate long distance. I've seen people use little wind turbines that will charge a cell phone. And so there are gadgets out there that you have to seek out and find. And so with wind, water, and solar, there's a possibility of generating electricity on any of those fronts. Now something that I'm doing is I'm building my own generator. I have an old cast iron block, Briggs & Stratton, from the early 1950s. And I bought a 24-volt alternator. And that way I can charge my battery bank. Now I know that if we have big problems, gasoline's going to be scarce. But I'm going to store enough gasoline to keep my generator running for at least six months. And of course, I won't use that same gas. I'll use from my supply and just replenish with fresh gas because you don't want gas to be sitting around very long. Even if you add a stabilizer to your gas, it'll still go bad eventually. But I'm just going to use an automotive V-belt between my alternator and the gasoline motor, and I'll put a tension pulley in the middle so I can keep everything nice and tight, as well as having a tightener on my alternator to tighten the belt in the first place. And I'm not going to get fancy. I'm not going to put an amperage meter on. I'm just going to simply have my engine hooked up to my alternator, and with that I'll be able to charge my 24-volt batteries. Now, if you have several vehicles, you can use a 24-volt charger as long as you hook those batteries together. You hook the negative on one battery to the positive of another battery. That'll leave you one negative and one positive left. That's where you would put your clamps to charge the battery. Then that makes it one 24-volt battery. Then simply unhook the batteries from each other. Then you're charging two batteries at once. And I'm also working on a wind turbine that can turn that same 24-volt alternator. And if I can get that turbine where I'm happy with it and it's working good, well, I've got several 12-volt generators and also 12-volt alternators that I can build a second unit. And that'll give me some flexibility in my charging. And I've seen several people using earth batteries to generate some power, and I've seen people get a respectable amount of voltage, but the milliamps are really low. And to make an earth battery that will actually charge a cell phone or other device is going to be fairly tricky. But I do know that several people have accomplished that. And so if you're a tinkerer and you like to try new things, go on the internet and check out videos on earth batteries. 
and watch them all. There's dozens of them up there. And some guys are really on the right track, and other guys are kind of just guessing. Of course, it's all just a guessing game, because nobody's made it work on a big scale yet. But that would be optimum if you can get enough to charge a cell phone off of an earth battery. Then you never have to worry about charging your cell phone ever again, because you can do it right from the earth. And one reason I'm really big on the cell phone, keeping that charged, isn't that I think we're going to have communications, because if we have a very bad war or something happens to knock out our power grid, your cell phone's not going to reach anyone as a phone, but as a flashlight and as a calculator and the other functions that that phone can do, it's going to be like having an electric Swiss army knife in your pocket. And most of you already use your phones that way anyway. But getting back to the earth battery, in a nutshell, you just drive two pieces of metal into the ground several inches away from each other. And of course, you'd want to water the ground, and some people water it with salt, and that helps the conductivity, and that helps conduct the electricity better. And the two pieces of metal you put in the ground have to be different, but you have zinc and copper and aluminum and all sorts of different metals that you can test to see which one reacts the best in your soil. But that's something you're going to gain by doing research and watching these videos is a lot of the work has already been done. And I did a show about six months back about earth batteries, where I went into a lot more detail. But in this episode, I'm just going to say check them out. And if you'd like to get a new hobby, something a little different, you can go out in your backyard and see how much power you can generate from your yard. Because it is possible. But if you're forced down to earth battery or nothing, well your chances are really slim that you're going to get enough power to really be helpful. But who knows, you might be the person that actually figures out how to get more power out of an earth battery. And that's how all worthwhile inventions come about. Lots of people trying different things. I've been watching people making hydrogen cells for their cars and for their lawnmowers. And I've seen a lawnmower that ran actually really well on hydrogen. And making a hydrogen generator is not hard at all. You can go to your local hardware store and get everything you need. You do have to remember that as you make the hydrogen gas, it's very flammable. And so you have to be very careful. And there are ways to store hydrogen gas. But again, it's very flammable and very dangerous. And so you really have to know what you're doing. And safety has to be your number one concern. So I don't want you to make any hydrogen gas out there and burn your house down. And so if you're interested in creating a fuel that you can use in lawnmowers and cars and tractors and things like that, again, watch a lot of videos and tutorials on how to make hydrogen. I did a whole show on wood gas, and I'm just going to mention it in passing. Just go to drivingonwood.com, drivingonwood.com. And they're complicated to make, but they're very usable. And it's something that I wish that I had the time and the money to build. Because I would run everything I own off of wood gas if I could. And you can make your own natural gas very easy. And in the third world countries, almost all of those countries make their own usable natural gas. And in some countries like India... They pipe it right into their house. They make it in their backyard and pipe it right in. 
and I hate to keep telling everyone on this episode just to go research this, but I'm giving you ideas, and you're going to have to take the idea and run with it, because it would take a whole show to talk about every little thing I'm talking about. And I'm trying to get you prepared to at least have something in the back of your mind that you know that there's avenues that you can go to to keep the home fires burning. That's what I'm trying to help you do. But you can make your own biodigester, or if you don't want to make one, you can buy one. But they're real easy to make. And there are people that make household units that they make their own biogas right in their kitchen. And they'll run their burners on their stove right off the gas that they make. There again, I don't recommend you doing that because I'm talking third world countries. I've seen them do this. And so everything that you do has to be legal and has to be according to code and everything else in the United States. But there again, I'm talking emergency situation. And if we're in a catastrophe, like a world war with an EMP attack and everyone's starving and people are roaming the streets and they've looted the stores and, well, at that point, building codes and things kind of take a back seat to survival. It will take several days, maybe a week or so, for a biodigester to really get going. But I know that a 55-gallon drum made into a biodigester will help heat one room in your house and also cook all of your food. And the flame you get from your own natural gas is exactly the same as the natural gas you buy because it is natural gas. It's a beautiful blue clean flame. And the last thing I'm going to mention because I'm running out of time is ethanol. I know there's lots of laws about making your own still. And back in the 1970s, there were two farmers that were brothers that ran all of their farm machinery off of gasoline-powered tractors. These guys were pretty smart, and they figured out how to run their tractors off of 100% alcohol. Now, I don't know exactly how they did that, because 100% alcohol is very hard on a gasoline system. But these guys somehow figured it out. And since they were corn farmers, they made their own fuel out of their own product. And their neighbors found out what they were doing, and so neighbors were coming over and asking them how to convert their tractors over to run on alcohol and asked the guys to either show them how to make their own still or they wanted to buy fuel from these guys. Well, these guys wanted to help their neighbors out, so they went ahead and started selling some of the fuel that they made, and of course that got back to Uncle Sam, and I don't really know how it ended up, but I know the guys got arrested for making illegal whiskey, basically. The ATF got them and several other agencies. But there again, I'm talking emergency situation. In an emergency, if you have a way to use ethanol, you can make it yourself. But there again, you have to look into the legalities and all the little things you have to look into. But there's plenty of information online and also in books on how to build a still. And I know there's quite a few people out there that have a still. But if things really fall apart, there's not going to be a lot of government oversight on anything. And again, the spirit I give this information in the show is rubber meets the road worst case scenario survival and I am going to add this before I have to close the show I get hand operated tools such as shoulder brace drills or hand drills you hold with your hand and turn a crank they actually work really well and I have all sorts of hand saws and hand tools and if my electricity totally was out of course I make my own 
But let's say my system just totally quits and I can't repair it. I can still get my work done. It might be a lot slower and a lot harder to do. But I recommend you having the ability to use your own muscles to be able to power some of your tools, such as saws and drills and things like that. And one of the best things I found out about my little crank drills are if you're away from electricity and your battery on your battery-operated tool goes down where it no longer functions, you can get a project done pretty easy with these hand crank drills. But with the hand crank drills, I would have to say that the, the better the drill bit, the faster you're going to get things done. Because with a high-speed electric drill, those are kind of forgiving. You can have secondary bits and still get some holes drilled because they rely on their speed. And while the hand drills do spin around pretty fast, they don't have near the velocity of an electric drill. But one drawback with a hand drill is if you're using a really good bit and it grabs a little bit too much metal, well, you might have a hard time getting your drill back started again if it ever gets jammed up. Well, I hope I've given you some ideas today, at least some mental peace of mind, that you know that if you have a will to get something done, there is a way to get it done. That's really the reason for me doing this second part of the show. Because I do not want you to feel hopeless. I'm trying to empower you as much as I can. I hope you enjoyed the show. And I really hope you consider donating to keep the show on the air. I've had several really great donations. And I really do appreciate it. But by and large, it's only a handful of people. And I have thousands of listeners. But only a handful of people who are contributing. And if everyone who listens to this show would just chip in a few bucks once in a while, then this show's future would be very secure. So I ask you to please consider doing that. I would appreciate it. And I take checks, cash, or money orders, and you would write the check out to Thunderbolt West Media, and you would mail to Thunderbolt West Media, P.O. Box 163, P.O. Box 163, Hershey, Nebraska, Hershey, Nebraska, 69143. And your donations are so much appreciated. Thanks for listening. So until next time, stay vigilant. Keep preparing. Stay strong. Keep your powder dry. But most important of all, replace fear with faith. This is Jim Calhoun with the Living Off Grid Power and Information Show. The song Step Out on the Sea is performed by Brit Small and Festival. Thank you for listening to Thunderbolt West Media.